December 2017. Nadia Atwi's vehicle is discovered wedged into some bushes at a park near her home. Just want to tell her that I love her. Come back today. I would forget about what happened. But Nadia is never seen again. If I go back, I would react differently, but I didn't know. The next call, the case of Nadia Atwi, available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Did we just make a high-performance shirt with nylon made from plants? We sure did. It's the same lightweight, quick-drying nylon with a renewable start. That Lululemon ad is one of many ways the company is claiming to be helping the environment. It's part of their Bee Planet campaign. The program is centered around reducing greenhouse gas emissions and creating, as you heard, eco-friendly clothing. But Stand.Earth, a BC-based environmental group, says these ads do not tell the whole story. That group is calling on the Competition Bureau to investigate Lululemon for greenwashing. Rachel Kitchen is the Senior Corporate Climate Campaigner at Stand.Earth. She's with me in our Toronto studio. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Can we start with a definition? What is greenwashing? So greenwashing is, it's an environmental claim, uh, which basically it can either be exaggerated, it can be deceitful, and in some way is misleading to consumers to make them think that something that they're buying has either a lower environmental impact or even a positive environmental impact. So we just heard else. we just heard part of that ad, in which mm-hmm. the company is saying that they're making shirts, you know, nylon made from plants or what have you. What are the specific claims that Lululemon has made that your organization is taking issue with? Well, the claims themselves are pretty remarkable, really. Um, I mean, the Bee Planet campaign is this. Uh, claimed to be the central pillar of of Lululemon's whole business model, which says that their products actually contribute to making the planet healthier. Mm. It's fundamentally what they're saying. And it's all told through, you know, beautiful imagery of people running through green fields and, and, you know, stories about um, about healthy planet, health, wellness, etc. But that's categorically not the case. Uh, you know, we know that since Lululemon started saying it was B Planet in 2020, the company's emissions have doubled to now more than, you know, the equivalent of putting more than half a million cars on the road each year. I mean, that doesn't sound to me like a company that's improving the environment. So what specifically, I mean, is there evidence that shows that the claims that the company is making aren't true? Absolutely. And they're all there in its own sustainability reporting, which is the really interesting thing. I mean, they make these extremely broad and uh, kind of positively inflected claims. But as I mentioned, they are their uh, emissions are increasing. And fundamentally, the uh, the fashion industry is one which is incredibly harmful to the environment. Mm. So the idea that any fashion brand could be actually restorative is really ludicrous. But Lululemon itself has been growing extremely fast and its emissions have been growing extremely fast with it. And to add to that, its products are primarily made from uh, from fossil fuels, from oil. You know, po- polyester, nylon, plastic clothing that we're wearing is made from oil. What happened to the nylon made from plants claim? Well, have you ever tried to buy one of those T-shirts? I have not. Because no. <laughs> I have, and actually I haven't been able to find them anywhere, which is... So, you know, this is kind of another piece of greenwashing is this idea of really emphasizing these small environmental benefits, while actually the full picture that the company is telling is that 
they are causing intense extreme harm to the environment through their massive reliance on fossil fuels. Why Lululemon? I mean, to your point, and we've talked about this, fashion, particularly fast fashion, has um, faced a lot of criticism for its environmental footprint, not just the creation of what you're you know, buying, but also the fact that people might wear it and then toss it in the bin a few times after that. Why Lululemon? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true that all fashion companies, or I would say most, the vast majority are extremely harmful. Uh, you know, they use a lot of fossil fuels to make their products. Most uh, most uh, clothes are made in factories that are burning coal on site in order to run the processes to create them. So yes, almost all fashion companies are committing this harm. However, Lululemon is one of the biggest com fashion companies in the world at this point. It's growing extremely fast. They made eight billion US dollars last year. And I haven't seen a single other company out there claiming to restore the environment. And I think that the thing that Lululemon adds, which is extremely dangerous and misleading to consumers, is this idea that as by buying their products, you're buying into this uh, this um, this theory that wellness and that planet and Lululemon products are all interconnected mm. and that you can actually buy sustainability. So you could have a campaign that is criticizing Lululemon, but your organization has gone to the Competition Bureau. What, what's the, the law that you think this company is breaking? So the Competition Act, which is the law that the Competition Bureau enforces, uh, is the is Canada's greenwashing law. And, you know, there are, I think that, you know, it could be criticized as not really being accessible or strong enough up to this point. But what it does offer is a framework for um, for individuals, for groups like Stand.Earth and, and others to, if they see a, um, an issue, a greenwashing issue, to bring it to the Competition Bureau and ask them to investigate it. I'm going to come back to that. We asked Lululemon for an interview. They said no. Um, but they did send a statement. It reads in part, we are committed to our decarbonization plan, making tangible investments to meet our 2030 climate goals on the path to being net zero by 2050. It also says that those goals have been validated by something called the Science-Based Targets Initiative. This is a global body that helps companies set emission reduction targets. What do you make of that response? Well, I mean, 2050 is a very long way away. So, 20, well, it, being net zero by 2050. 2050, yeah, exactly. It's a very long way away. I mean, while it's true that they have uh, they have some targets, which is great. And, and we targets have, apparently that have been validated by this organization. So, um, yeah, they have targets which have been validated for their own operations. So, and the, what's interesting about that, though, is that the company's own operations, by their own admission in their reporting, accounts for less than 1% of its total impact. So... The impact of a fashion company is really all outside of what we call its its own operations, its its stores, its offices. That stuff doesn't really matter in the long term. What so matters is its supply chain. Well, it speaks to something else that they say in the statement, that they've reached their goals of 100% renewable electricity and 60% absolute reduction of greenhouse emissions in facilities they own and operate. But much of your complaint is around what are known as scope three emissions, yeah. right? Which are things that are outside of the company's direct control. Exactly. And I think, you know, the when we talk about any fashion company, particularly, this is why this is, issue is so important, because it's, it's something you see a very frequent form of greenwashing, particularly in the fashion industry, is when they talk a lot about what they're doing 
in their stores, in offices, you know, replacing light bulbs, switching to, you know, buying renewable energy, when that represents a tiny, tiny fraction of the impact that they're having in the world. How much control do they actually have over scope three emissions? I mean, these aren't, by their, by their definition, they, they aren't directly controlled by the company. So how much control would Lululemon have over operations that may not be as climate friendly as, as, as things that they can control directly? Well, they actually do have a significant amount of influence. Um, so there are other fashion companies, for example, I mean, H&M, Kering, Puma, there are companies that have set targets for their suppliers, for the factories that are making their clothes, to for them to transition to clean renewable energy away from burning fossil fuels, uh, for them to you know reduce emissions and set really significant targets for their supply chains to reduce that impact. Lululemon has not set a target to transition to renewable energy in its supply chain, which is something that Standard Earth has been asking it to do for over two years and really been drawing attention to this issue that if they want to be planet, if they want to be a positive impact on the environment, then they need to cut out fossil fuels. So what would, just before I let you go, what would the ultimate goal of this complaint be? Would it be what's the change that you want to see from Lululemon? Well, we do need to end this really egregious misleading greenwashing. Uh, they need to take down the the false statements that are on the website and stop consu- confusing consumers into thinking that sustainability is something that they can buy in a Lululemon store. So is it, but, a, is it a change in marketing or is it a change in action? Well, I think we need to see both. We need to see, you know, we would love to see Lululemon make its words ring true by committing to renewable energy and committing to kick fossil fuels out of its supply chains. How much do you think consumers care about this. I mean, one of the things, we had this conversation a few weeks ago about fast fashion and talking about what happened 10 years ago in Bangladesh, the Rana Plaza mm. collapse, um, where a number, not Lululemon, but a number of other companies, um, their clothes were being manufactured there. There was a hue and cry, we're going to change, but then it didn't. We continue to still buy cheap things. We wonder how it is that we can buy a t-shirt that costs $5 or pants that cost $10. Do you think consumers care about this? I think that they do. And I think, you know, Lululemon in its own, some of its own reportings and filings has said that people in Canada, particularly young people, care about how their products are made and where they're coming from. And I would say, you know, with Rana Plaza, there was a huge outcry and things have changed when it comes to health and safety in facilities uh, in Bangladesh and in other manufacturing areas. These are the kind of changes that we need to see happen for the environment as well. Rachel, thank you very much. Welcome, thank you. Rachel Kitchen is Senior Corporate Climate Campaigner at Stand.Earth. She was with me here in our Toronto studio. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Ren Montgomery is an associate professor of sustainability at the Ivy Business School at Western University, co-founder of the Greenwash Action Lab. Ren, hello to you. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm well. What do you make of Stand.Earth's complaint against Lululemon? 
You know, I I think it's it's really important that some of our NGOs, our not-for-profits, uh, activist groups are are doing this work on behalf of Canadians. I think you know, as as your prior guest was saying, Canadians really care about this stuff. But the the Competition Act has been a little bit difficult to navigate. So we need some of these groups to put the resources behind. Uh, holding companies to account. Why is this something that falls to the Competition Bureau in the first place? I think there are a lot of people who might not draw the connection between accusations of greenwashing and and those competition regulations. Yeah, absolutely. So I work in a business school, of course, so we think a lot about competition. But, you know, what we would ideally like to see is that uh, companies that are doing the right thing, that are being sustainable, um, are getting the benefits of that in the market. So they're they're getting that extra bit of uh, bit of money that consumers are willing to put towards green and sustainable products. Um, but instead, we're seeing competition being confused by greenwashing cl- um, claims that aren't verified, that aren't uh, aren't backed up. So consumers don't really know which companies are are legitimate. We're seeing a lot of numbers that consumers in Canada are really confused. So it's it's skewing competition. We can't actually have uh, have you know straightforward competition with those companies doing the right thing being able to benefit from that you use the word sustainable and i mean that's one of the words that gets thrown around a company can be sustainable its practices can be eco-friendly they're carbon neutral what are those i mean if you if you take a look at this from a business perspective but this is also going to the competition bureau to make sure that they're they're backing yeah. that up with action what do those words actually mean yeah great great question um and and you know We've seen a lot of discussion over that in the EU and the European Union are actually putting laws in place um, that are saying, okay, this is how you need to back up these claims. You can't just say you're environmentally friendly, you're sustainable, you're responsible without having really clear proof behind that. Um, So that's something I think would be great for companies to have in Canada, um, for consumers to have that, uh, for companies to know what they need to do in order to make these claims. And unfortunately, we don't have that yet under the Competition Act. There are amendments that are going through Parliament right now that are meant to strengthen the greenwashing provisions of the Competition Act? What, 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 what are those changes as you understand them? And would that get you to that place that you're looking for, where, where there is some definition to what those phrases mean, but also they have to be backed up with action? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'll assume that caveat. But uh, to the best of my understanding, no, they're not going to solve that issue. They're much weaker than what we're seeing coming out of the EU, than what we're seeing coming out of California, um, probably what the Federal Trade Commission is going to do in the US. So they don't give clear standards for companies. So they say that companies have to do adequate and proper tests. Uh, under the new the new rules, but there's no clear standards about what those adequate and proper tests are. Um, you know, you were talking about science-based targets. Is that the one company should be using? Should they be using another one? The Competition Act is silent on this. Um, and also in disclosure requirements. So one of the big things that would really help is if it was clear what companies had to disclose. So just like their financial reports, if they had to tell us, hey, this is what we measured, this is how we measured our emissions, and make that publicly available. And uh, we still see very little in terms of um, enforcement and penalties. So, um, you know, it's up to groups like Stand.Earth to bring these forward. Mm. Um, And it's really difficult for a citizen to do that. You see this comparable to those financial reports? 
Uh, I think it would. I think that's where we're heading um, slowly. That's where a lot of other jurisdictions are heading. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, we don't have that yet in Canada. And I think it's we're we're not doing companies a favor by not giving them that sort of guidance. I think it. Uh, we've seen a lot of agreement from companies that they'd like more guidance on greenwashing. The, well, I'm going to come back to that. The minister responsible yeah. for uh, he's the minister of innovation, Francois Philippe Champagne. He's responsible for the Competition mm-hmm. Bureau. His office sent a statement. Uh, Uh, that reads in part that these changes are going to enhance the Bureau's ability to investigate deceptive marketing and that companies won't be able to make a claim about protecting the environment that's not based in adequate and proper testing. What else has to be done then? I mean, you talked about other jurisdictions, what's happening in Europe, perhaps California, maybe elsewhere in the United States. What What would bring some teeth to this? Yeah, I, I again think, um, you know, telling companies what adequate and proper testing is, you know, and and having it, it them having to share that transparently with uh, with the public, with customers, with media. Mm. Um, so we don't have those those yet, but that is what's going through in the EU. That's what's going through in California. Um, so we've got this, I would say, somewhat clunky um, system where we have to we're relying on consumers to make complaints before the competition bureau will even act. You said that companies themselves are looking for this. What have you heard from executives about what they what they want to know? Oh, we hear this all the time. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of companies have come forward and talked about it. But certainly when we do executive education, um, when we're talking to managers, they're lost. They're confused. Um, I usually, certainly there's some companies that deliberately greenwash. But what I usually hear in my conversations are companies that are confused, that are trying to do the right thing, um, trying to be more sustainable, they they see this coming. They understand there's money to be made on it, and they understand that there's regulations coming. So they know they have to move in this, this direction, be more environmentally responsible, but they're not sure how to do it. Um, and they're, they're not sure which claims they can make, how they report it, which reporting standards they use, how they should be maybe be making that publicly available. So they're, they're confused and they're looking for help is my... Uh, my interpretation of it or my experience. Are they worried that they're going to have to pay some sort of penalty for that? I mean, the Competition Bureau in past investigated Keurig Canada. They, they make mm-hmm. coffee pods, what have you. And they were ordered to pay something like $3 million for making these misleading claims that their single-use K-cup pods could be recycled. Does a penalty like that, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, $3 million is a lot of money, but in a corporate world, perhaps less so. But does something like that give those corporate leaders concern that they need to be able to back up what they're saying? Um, it's a good question. I I don't think it's giving them that much concern. <laughs> $3 million, as you say, isn't that that huge? And it's a, a slow process. So I imagine it probably took Stand.Earth, you know, at least a year or so to come up with this complaint, to file it. And then we've seen the Competition Bureau. There's several complaints under investigation that we haven't heard from it. You know, they've been under investigation for close to a year, some of them, to the best of my knowledge. So it's a very slow process, and the companies are continuing to advertise and make money off that product in the interim. So I think it's the the, the public um, reprisal, sort of what's happening with Lululemon now, that they're probably more afraid of than the actual monetary penalty. What's the role of the consumer in this, just finally? I mean, Rachel mentioned the fact that, that she believes, and her organization believes, that young people in particular, that obviously climate change is an issue for everybody, but that, that young yeah. people 
have perhaps a different urgency than others um, and that maybe they have a voice in this. So for the consumer who might be concerned and they wonder, they see these phrases, you know, that it's sustainable, net zero, what have you, um, and they don't know what they mean. What should they be doing? What should we be doing? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with her entirely that young people, I teach 20-year-olds, and they are livid about greenwashing. So <laughs> if companies think this isn't going to come back to haunt them, they should talk to my students. Mm. But and, and they're very savvy on social media. They understand hypocrisy. You know, they've grown up in this environment, so they're looking for this stuff. Um, so consumers generally, I, I'm just really... A, a critic right now. You know, I look at things, if there's a claim, if there's a pretty green tag, some leaves, a tree, I'm looking for backup. You know, is there a QR code? Is there a website? Is there something I can go to to find out what they're actually doing? And if I can't find that, I'm moving on to the next product because in my view, if if you're actually doing something, you're going to be transparent about it. If I can't find it or it's taking me a long time to find it, my guess is going to be right now, you're not actually doing Mm. So I'm going to move on to something else. Ren, thank you very much. Thank you. My Ren, pleasure. Ren Bye -bye. Montgomery is an associate professor of sustainability at the Ivy Business School at Western University. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.